name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I'm glad you guys were able to get up. I know we were up kind of late because of Joe. Um, uh, before we begin, actually, um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but today is actually the Feast of the Reposal of Abuna um, Bishoy Kamen, the Great, who um, was from Alexandria Sporting um, originally, and who was uh, called to serve here in America. Um, he was handpicked by Pope Krolos. Like This month is just a month of bosses. Um, so... He was actually typified the life of, of prayer in his service and of living prayer. So those of you who have not actually um, encountered Abu Nabi Kamil in your lives, um, then hopefully there's a book about him somewhere on those tables. Um, if not, then there's a whole uh, host of them um, online. But um, hopefully throughout the day we can uh, make reference to him uh, and ask his intercessions for us. Um, so, this next lecture hopefully isn't going to take um, immensely long. I just wanted to go through um, different types of prayer that the church has uh, for us um, so that we know how to use them and what they are and maybe what their objectives and goals are um, to make it easier. And we talk about a prayer rule on how to incorporate different types of prayer um, into it because the prayer um, or spiritual life is, is a full course meal. We have to actually eat from different kinds of things, even if they're not our favorite ones. Um, we can't always just have chocolate. Um, so before we go into the types of prayer, there's different degrees of prayer. Um, what that means is different, there's different levels of prayer, and we're trying to ascend, obviously, to the highest level um, as possible, because, again, we said that our aim is, is communion with God, um, even here on earth. So so that we learn to love heaven and to experience heaven while here on earth. Because if you don't know how to enjoy God's presence while you're here, uh, don't kid yourselves, you're not going to like it in heaven. If you're bored out of your mind with God here, you're, it's not going to get more thrilling up there. Um, so we need to learn how to attain that here and how to learn to love Him. Um, so the first degree of prayer is bodily prayer. Um, this is like the physical aspect of, of prayer. Um, this consists for the most part in, pray, in, in reading, in standing, in matanyas, in physical activities. Um, and in all of these, there has to be patience, labor, and sweat. Um, because intention can easily run away, and the heart feels nothing and has no desire to pray. Um, but because of this, you need a moderate rule, and we'll talk about that, and you need to keep to it. This is active prayer. Um, if you think about it, uh, for example, um, anybody who goes to the gym, right? If the first time you go into the gym, you just look around, it's very overwhelming. You have no idea where to even start. Um, and if you also think that, like, after doing, like, 15 crunches, you're going to have a six-pack, like, good luck to you. Um, so we have to keep in mind that prayer is also a work um, and that it requires consistency and it requires us um, to go step by step. But it also is important to have goals, um, and to look at the big picture. We don't just stop at, the, the, at the, the first step. So that's the first degree is the bodily prayer. The second degree is prayer with attention. Okay, this is when the mind becomes accustomed to collecting itself um, in the hour of prayer. Um, and it prays consciously throughout the entire prayer without distraction. The mind is focused upon the written words to the point of speaking them as if they were its own. Um, so some of us have had these on and off where we were able to actually pay attention and to look at what 
you're holding in front of you and be able to pray. The third degree of prayer is prayer with feeling. Um, and we're going to discuss this later because there's a difference between feeling and emotions. Um, and what most of us are, are running after is emotions. But the third degree of prayer is, is having feeling where the heart is warmed by concentration so that what so far had only become thought is a more of a reality. It becomes a, a feeling. Um, where first it was a contrite phrase, um, now like just, it was just a, an expression that meant something of contrition. Now you actually have that sense of, of contrition. Um, and what was once just a petition in words um, becomes a necessity, right? Where you're not just saying, have mercy, because it was to say, have mercy. You, you are actually praying, oh Lord, have mercy, where suddenly the, the words have taken on life. Um, whoever's passed through action into true feeling will actually learn how to pray without words. This is actually a very real experience. It's not, uh, um, and that person will pray without words because God is a God, as we said, of the heart. Um, and that the end of this, this learning in prayer can be said to come when our prayer, we move from feeling to feeling. In this state, reading actually might cease. You might no longer have the book in front of you, um, as well as deliberate thought. Um, and when the feeling of prayer reaches the point where it becomes continuous, St. Theophan says, then spiritual prayer may be said to begin. Um, and that is a gift. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit, um, who is actually praying on our behalf. That's why St. Paul says that the Spirit is groaning, right? Groaning is unutterable, where he's teaching us to pray and to translate our prayers for us before God the Father. Um, and that's the last degree of prayer that our minds can grasp. There might be stuff beyond that, but that's beyond our ability. Um, speaking of which, like a, a, there's a couple of exceptional books that you should consider reading if you want to grow in prayer, um, where a lot of these quotes are from. The Art of Prayer is one of them. Um, anything by Theophan the Recluse is exceptional. Um, as well as um, The Hidden Man of the Heart by Archimandrite um, Zacharias, Zacharyu, um, who's, who's alive right now. And it's Prayer Life by Buddha Matthew Meskin. So... Okay. The Hidden Man of the Heart by our commander Zacharias to carry you. Um, and obviously all the Anthony Bloom books. So there's, there's these three degrees of prayer. So if we want to just kind of summarize them quickly, number one is the habit of ordinary oral prayer in church and at home, where you're just kind of doing the physical aspect of things. Number two, the union of these prayerful thoughts um, and feelings with the mind and heart. So there's kind of now become a connection. And then third is unceasing prayer, where the heart has become alive. Um, the Jesus prayer, which we're going to get to as a type of prayer, um, can go with those two. Like that's why a lot of people, especially the Orthodox, focus on the name of of Jesus's repetition, um, because it can become thought and heart. But it also, for those of us who have, have kind of lived that a little bit longer, um, it becomes alive, where it's actually functioning even in your sleep. There are people who <laughs> are actually praying in their in their sleep. Um, I know a monk, and this can be done with the Psalms as well, who before he was a monk, um, his sister had to go to his room to wake him up, and he was saying Psalms and Jesus' prayer in his sleep, like he, when, when she went to wake him up. Um, so how can this be done? Um, in church, follow the service. Um, retain the thoughts and the feelings that you experience there, if you're even paying attention there. At home, awaken yourself the thought, and the feelings of prayer and maintain them in, in, in your soul with the help of, of the Jesus prayer. But we'll go through a few of them each step by step. First, there's something called soundless 
um, prayer. So there's somebody who went to St. Theophan the Recluse and asked him, uh, which is better, to pray with the lips or with the mind? And he says, the answer is that we must use both forms. Pray sometimes in words, um, sometimes with the mind. But it is necessary to explain here that mental prayer also involves the use of words which in this case are not heard, but are only pronounced within the heart. It is better to put in this way, prayer sometimes, pray under the sounding words and sometimes inaudibly with words that are soundless. But it is necessary to take care that both sounding and soundless prayer should come from the heart. I know that sounds um, like stating the obvious, uh, but sometimes we get philosophical. But he's trying to point out that there is a continual work um, going on between the heart and the mind. Um, and so those are the words of, of, of the flesh, is that we do have external prayer. Um, but inner prayer is the key. Like this is, this is absolutely essential. Without inner spiritual prayer, there is no prayer at all. Um, for this alone is real prayer, pleasing to God. Um, it is the soul within the words of prayer that matters whether the prayer is at home or in church. And if inner prayer is absent, then die words, then, then, then words or vocal words have only appearance of prayer, but they're not really prayer. So what we're trying to get at here is that you have to take any prayer and turn it into interior prayer. Like any, any prayer, even if it starts off at words, has to eventually penetrate the heart, or you are only making a beginning at prayer. So we're going to discuss some of the kinds of external prayer. Um, the first of these is, is spontaneous prayers. Um, we might talk about this a little bit more in our, in our discussion about um, a prayer rule. So this is um, what most people here, I'm assuming, like the, the most, and it's what most of us associate with prayer, um, where you have this overwhelming um, emotion, whether it's joy or, or anguish or fear, um, where the words seem to come out with ease. This is spontaneous prayer. This is acceptable before God. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the only problem is that we sometimes think that we can maintain our spiritual life on this alone, and you cannot. You're not always in the mood, um, and you're not always able to find um, a, a fountain of words flowing, art, uh, flowing out. You're, you're, we're not all David the prophet. Um, and so for those of us who think that we can maintain the spiritual life, it's a little bit dangerous, and a lot of us lapse into neglect in our prayer because we're like, no, 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 I'm just going to say a few words. And that's when you find that you stand up and you're just praying the same thing every single day. Dear Jesus, thank you for everything. Help all those who didn't come this week to come next week. Um, and the same standard prayers that we hear every time that we ask people to pray aloud. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, but it's a, a sign that we, we're not really sure what to say. Um, so spontaneous prayers is one form, but it is also sometimes for us the weakest, except for when we are in um, extreme emotions. And... Hopefully we learn how to not just become emotional Christians, um, which is an accusation often leveled against us. This is why we have prepared prayers, which a lot of other denominations point at us and say, uh, you're just doing vain repetitions. This is false. Um, and it is not a really fair um, accusation. If we look at what our Lord said, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, his response was not, okay, like, turn off the lights, hold hands, like, turn on, like, like the candles and, and wave, um, and this will thereby induce a mood, right? He said to them, when you pray, say, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, and taught them a prayer and said to repeat it. So clearly God is not against repeated prayers, or he would not have himself taught them to do so. Um, and this is very important for us to recognize. Um, but, like we said a few minutes ago, the key is making it enter into our hearts, um, that we're not just saying random words, that they become real. Um, so, we have prepared prayers, um, because these are the prayers of people who have been through something, or who have had a life of experience with God, um, in which they have come to some kind of truth or reality that they've been able to express for us, um, and we take their words and to try and make them become our own. There's nothing wrong with this. In the same manner, um, it is not only not wrong, but I would encourage you to write your own prayers. Um, there's nothing wrong with when you are in a spiritual um, high or in a good state, or even if it's a spiritual low, um, to record those things. Um, and for that to become something that you use in prayer, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's no, there's no rule banning you from expressing yourself to God. Um, so prepared prayers help us capture a truth that we did not know. And it's important to read through them because um, when we talk about the prayer rule, um, Anthony Bloom talks a lot about prayers meaning something, not shouting random things to God. Um, so we need... You need to go through them. I've gone through this many times myself. I've gone through different prayer books and talked with my own spiritual father on how to incorporate things that do move me um, or that I can connect with more than, than others. Is We're all human beings. We all have different personalities. Um, and we're going to find that there are different things. Um, and the Igbe in particular is, is a, an incredible tool that most of us hate. Um, because it was forced on us or we just, like, you'll notice, like, I notice that almost every single... Um, meeting that I've gone to when you do like the Lord I lift your name on high people get into it and here I am to worship and all that jazz everyone's into it you get into Igbeya and it's like it's dead right away it's like let us give thanks to the beneficent and merciful God um, and you can barely get anybody to read the psalm out loud and I don't understand why um, because these are all verses that we're reading um, and the songs that we're singing, most of them are based on the psalms. And then when we're doing the Bay, we're actually praying the psalms. But usually it's because we haven't taken the time to interact with our, our Igbeyas, um and to find the, the richness of it. And if you don't expend effort, like we said, you're at the gym, then you won't ever discover its beauty and you're just going to despise it. And I've definitely had periods of absolutely despising um, the Igbeya. So we, we've, we've all been there. Um, but we do need to move past that. Because the Psalms express for us um, a lot. And we're going to come to the Psalms specifically. Next is liturgical um, prayers. Um, because again, when we're talking about oral prayers, like we hear St. Paul say in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are or oral prayers. Um, and, and he actually says, he continues the verse... Um, of when he tells us to, to participate in these things, was singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Um, because he's actually already connected it to the inner prayer. Because he right away says, in your hearts. So it's not just about these actions of, of singing, but bringing them to the next level. So he was trying to express in this verse all kinds of audible um, prayer, all kinds of prayers that we express 
um, with words. So we use the Psalter, the Psalms, okay? We use church songs. We use Salis and Theotokayas. We use, um, for those of us who are familiar with the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they have a beautiful tradition called the Akathist, okay? Which is... Um, songs of dedication to different saints and seasons, um, and the various prayers which are contained in all of our prayer books. And I mean all of our prayer books. We have a lot of them. We're just not aware of it. Um, you will not go wrong um, if you use any of these oral prayers because the power of prayer is not in, in a particular oral prayer. It's in the way in which we pray. Um, it's not in... Like, oh no, this is a good prayer because it was the Igbeya. No, you could have a miserable prayer from it. Um, same thing with the with the psalmody, if you don't learn how to pray. Um, so Tazbah and spiritual songs. Um, before we changed up the uh, what we were going to meditate on during um, uh, quiet time this morning, the one for this morning was originally going to be how many of you groaned when you found out we were doing Tazbah last night? Um and if it were canceled, it was how many of you were happy um, when you found out <laughs> that it was over and, and why? Because a lot of us would have had one of those emotions. Um, and usually because there's some kind of negative association with it. Um, but psalms and hymns and church songs are inspired outbursts of feeling towards God. Um, and they're all psalms. So for example, in, in the psalmody, um, we're talking about first de- deliverance, um, right? We focus on the on the exodus. We spoke on, in our salvation and baptism, right? And we're calling people to arise. Like when it says, when David says, "Early will I seek you." The whole point of tazbah was that you woke up in the middle of the night just to praise God, right? Like that it was supposed to be an expression of love, where it's like, no, 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 no. I'm gonna I'm gonna take away from my precious sleep. Um, because I would like to have my first moments with you. My, my eyes will meditate on the dawn time, um, and early will I stand before you, and you will see me. Um, and so we then wake up, because the highest form of prayer is to praise, right? Like you're beyond, Lord, I need, I want, um, and if you don't mind, could you hook up my friend, um, and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. He said we're allowed to do that. But the highest form of prayer is to say, I don't care about the stuff that you can give me. I just think you're awesome, right? It's like two lovers, like when they're like in, in their first romantic phase, where they just, all they do is just, oh, but you just, you're just so good. You really, you're just so awesome. Um, and that is what we're doing with God. And, and hopefully meaning it, as we're saying, like, really, like, I can't thank you enough. Like, you did this and this and this. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is like unto, O Lord, um, our God? Our God is this and this and this and this. All of these other people are but nothing compared to our God. That is what we're saying to him, and it's beautiful. Um, and if we focus on it and mean it, then it also gives us words to say in our difficult times. Where we can say, ah, but you are the one who delivered Pharaoh and his host, uh, delivered Moses and the Israelites from Pharaoh and his army, who you drowned in the Red Sea. Your right hand, O Lord, is exalted. Your right hand is above everybody else. You have dashed the enemy in pieces. And to take it into a spiritual meaning of understanding your spiritual warfares, of understanding your life difficulties. So the, the Tazbah is actually very, very beautiful for those of us who can move beyond to just like, this and so just as a as a, a word of advice, please, like hardcore like deacons, um, like take it easy on people, um, because sometimes you're the reason why people hate um, church. Um, so 
like when when you go to like a church and like like there's a group of people who are finally ready to pray tazbaha and then you are like and you spend like 35 minutes on it and then you do every single long hymn and you're doing it in a foreign tongue like don't be shocked that they're like yeah it's okay um, <laughs> you you can pray for me okay it's very important and actually our spiritual father in Canada Munathanasius Iskander is one of the best priests to, to grace the priesthood in the last century um, one thing I really admire about him with us when we were growing up is that he never ever forced us to do his Baha'i. He never even uh, made a comment if we had stopped doing it for a period on Saturday nights because he wanted it to be voluntary. Um, and it worked. Like it didn't, it's not like it turned out that we just never did it. We almost always did it. Um, we did it in English um, and it was moderate. Prayer must be moderate. We need to make sure that we're not turning people off. So... If you're doing tizbaha in your churches, do this. Even the, the monastery of St. Macarius the Great, where Abu Namat al-Maskeen, this man of renown who wrote the book on prayer, um, actually has a very interesting system that I didn't know about until I went there. Um, they don't do the whole tizbaha every single night. <laughs> um, and they're monks. Um, what they do is that they, there's, they have a schedule between um, Sunday evening through Saturday night or, or through Friday night because even Saturday is Sunday Tazbaha um, of what they're going to do and Tazbaha is scheduled to be from 4 to 5.30 regardless um, or to 6 I can't remember and so because they remove certain parts of it they don't rush they do everything at a pace so that when you are praying the words you mean them because what benefit is it if you are standing there, and as much as you're and like, and just like people struggling to be able to, to do it. So, Tazbaha is, 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 is a wonderful work, but make sure that it's something that you're allowing the people to access. Um, part of the psalmody um, that you should look at as a type of prayer that you could use as a standalone prayer are the Salis and the Theotokayas. Um, Pope Corinthians the sixth actually um, had a disciple who um, was a student in um, at Oxford actually in the seminary there, um, and even when he was in Egypt, Pope Corinthians actually told him not to pray the Igbeya. Um In in his particular case, he told him he wanted his his prayer rule to be to read the Sali and the Theotokia daily, and Pope Corinthians himself actually did this. Um, because there's a treasure in these that people don't um, ever see, especially because Tazbaha at church is usually just on like either Friday night or Saturday night, and so people only know one of them. If you're doing these, I'm not going to tell what church what language to pray, but if you're not going to do it in all English, um, because the psalm, the last psalm, third hour says, please pray with understanding. Um, if you're not, then at least switch up Coptic and English each week so that people learn the whole thing in the language that they understand. Okay? God understands English just as well as He understands Coptic. And the reason for this, okay, is because the words of these are very deep. They're meditations. How many of you know that we pray Jesus' prayer almost every single day in the church? Um, how many of us know that we have like very deep meditations on, on these moments of anguish built into the psalmody? And the tunes themselves are actually the, the easier tunes. They're not like the Good Friday ones where you like choose a vowel and, and stick with it. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's a very moderate tune 
that we're all able to handle. Like when you guys sang um, I Quote to you yesterday, I saw it after you with all my heart. Everybody can, can learn that very quickly because it's repetitive. Um, and when you look at the words, um, they're, they're absolutely um, beautiful. I had to translate the whole psalm from Coptic to English, and I, and I realized there was stuff that I had never appreciated. Because when, when, when I'm going through it word by word, I'm like, this is, this is rich. Um, so take a look at the psalms and consider in the evening time or in the morning of going through it. If you don't know how to sing it, then at least read it. But read it slowly and let the words enter into your heart so that you can learn how to talk about the Lord. Like the, it's a source of teaching and it's a source of, of prayer. And the Theotokeias um, are theological. But if you understand the theology, theology, I don't know why we have such an aversion to it. Um, because as Christ said, those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. And as a matter of fact, one of the first conversations I had with Samaritan woman was theological. Right? Like they started off by talking about where to pray, not to pray, and how I'm going to bring these people. Like it was not like, um, okay, so tell me how to deal with anger. I'm not saying that we, like these are not important. But there's a truth aspect. And so the theological words of, the, of these prayers are also very deep. For example, I don't know how many of you have ever taken time to think about the chorus of one of the Theotokeias. He took what is ours and gave us what is his. Just these two words, these two phrases, are a treasury in the Father's. This is a meditation on the beauties of the Incarnation, that God deigned and humbled Himself when He did not need to, to come down and look upon us and say, I'm going to take on their condition. I'm going to take on their weakness. And I'm going to glorify it. I am going to make them able to become like me again. We talked about yesterday that whole image of that green apple, right? And that the Incarnation was about restoring it. He didn't need to. Right? He came down and he suffered. He came down and he dealt with commoners. He came down and he spent time with sinners. And people didn't like him for that. But all of these things, if you actually think about that, it's not just a random statement. It's a very, very beautiful thing. And then when we get close to the saints, which you should, because they're the MVPs. Um, and if you have a relationship with them, then you look at how God honored St. Mary. Look at how he honored the saints. All of these become a living tradition that... I promise you, if you actually meditate on them and make them alive, you will see transformations in your spiritual life and you will experience the living reality of heaven. Not this theory of it, but that heaven is closer than you think and that there's a communion with heaven here on earth. But if you don't ever delve deeper, you won't discover it. The tazbaha is rich. Um, so, so work on it. Liturgy. So liturgy means the work of the people, not of Ibrahim Ayed and Abuna. So the churches where you have two deacons at the mic and a silent congregation, that church has something seriously wrong going on. Very wrong. Because it is the work of the people. And it's gotten so bad in our church that a lot of people don't even realize that the prayer that the priest prays when he's asking for the Holy Spirit to, to send Upon the gifts, he says, and let, the, let your spirit come from on high upon, upon us. And you'll see some priests point at themselves. Um, and upon these gifts. This is wrong. The upon us is upon the whole people, not just the priests. 
It is the work of the people that the Holy Spirit is descending upon. And it's that descent of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about when the priest says the holies are for the holy. None of us are holy. It's the Holy Spirit who's coming and making us holy and able to partake. So the liturgy is the work of the people, and what we're doing in the liturgy, in this morning's quiet time, you're supposed to think about the economy of salvation. Have you ever paid attention to the words of the liturgy? We're going through it every single week. Every single liturgy, we start at the beginning. O God, the Great, the Eternal, who formed man in incorruption, who made man to be in paradise, and was meant to be incorrupt. And then death entered in the world by the enemy of the devil because of, of my sin. And in the Gregorian, it gets even more detailed, where he says, I plucked, I ate, I did, and he talks more about it, right? And then it says, but because of this, I lost my place in paradise. And because of this, you sent us the prophets and the judges and the kings, and yet we rejected them. And so you had to visit us with your salvation. And so you were incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man and taught us the ways of salvation. We're going through the whole story of salvation so that everybody can meditate on this as we approach the Eucharist to say, what is it that we're taking? We're taking the Lord incarnate who came to redeem us, that this is the bread of life which came down from heaven. If you don't get into that, you are just saying random words. And random words at God is completely meaningless. You don't go up to your friends and shout random words at them. Okay, so you shouldn't do that with God. So meditate on the liturgy because it is your work. And when you come for communion, um, it drives me nuts that we've, we've lost this tradition, is that you're saying Amen, right? You are saying, I believe this. And even before communion, you're saying this throughout. He's saying, okay... He took bread into his holy spotless and unblemished hands and said, this is my body, take, eat of it, all of you. Um, and this is for forgiveness of sins and for remission of sins and life everlasting. And you're saying, Amen, I believe. And everyone's like looking around and texting and the deacons are pulling each other's like brother chains and doing all sorts of random things. You are saying, I believe this. That is what Amen means. Amen means this is true. I believe this. What do you mean you believe this if you don't even know what it's about? How many people even, if somebody were to say, so what's your liturgy about? Yeah, we get together and we pray and we have uh, communion. How many of you would have it as a first thought, we are declaring the mystery of salvation, that Christ became flesh to save us from death and to give us his own life so that we could live eternally again. Christ came to slay death. This is why the chorus of the church is always Christos Anisti, always. Right? That's why on Sundays we're not even supposed to kneel. We all do it for some reason, but we're not, because we are affirming the resurrection, the day of the resurrection. So get into the liturgy and pay attention to the words. That was an exercise for me when I found the liturgy boring, is that I was like, okay, this week I'm going to just focus on this, this section while Buna is, is going on and the deacons are doing their thing. What does this mean? And I would meditate on it. Right? Then I would start noticing hymns that I didn't notice before. O Lord, God of powers, look down and visit the vine which your right hand has planted. It's beautiful. Um, and cause it to grow. Protect it. Shield it. Like, water it. Right? There's a, this nurturing idea, this nurturing relationship. So the liturgy is a deep prayer. But we must understand it. And I really, really encourage you guys, for those of you who do everything in Arabic and Coptic, I'm not dictating how you pray, but make sure that if, even if you're teaching the kids, teach them in English 
at least and make them meditate on it. I'm not a hymns dude, like, by any, like, stretch of the imagination. Um, but I was for a little bit taking those lessons with Albert, Deacon Albert in, uh, in Mississauga in Canada. And one of the things that I really admired about his system um, was that he made us meditate on the hymns. There's a meditations group. And we had to write meditations on it and post it to the Coptic Heritage website and to Coptic Hymns when it was alive um, as part of the service um, and to present before we'd even go into the hymns. Like that was step one. We did not learn until that was done. So that as we were singing, we, we really felt that there was something meaningful. Um, and, and ask the priest, like maybe if he can interject like at the beginning of a long hymn that you guys are going to do one week to explain to the people what is this about, right? Especially on days like Great Friday where we're asking people to, to sit for an inordinate amount of time um, and say, no, please take this and understand this. Omenu Genis is by far like one of my most favorite hymns, and Fa'it of Inf. Like the words in it are absolutely deep. And, and if you're able to get the words, you will then be able to appreciate the music. Where you'll, you'll see, for example, Fa'it of Inf, that as you build up this, your, this dramatic moment where you are looking at Christ crucified, and the whole church is saying together, this is He. This is He who is crucified um, on our behalf. Okay, and you're, you're standing there, and literally a salabot is in front of you, because this is the hour in which this has happened. Right? You get into it, and you meditate on it, and who, who is this? This is God. This is, this is a prayer. This is a deep statement that we're making. This is God who is on the cross. And then you'll notice in the hymn that we cry out with this Kha'ib Ugai for the salvation of our race. The, the actual tune itself suddenly gets much more dramatic because we're making a very, very dramatic statement at that point. Or even look at Omar Uganis when it says, Holy God, this is one of the, the sentences that used to baffle me. Holy God who by weakness has shown what is greater than might. That is, that is a strong statement and a very deep prayer. And, so, and if you can take that prayer that's meaningful on Good Friday and apply it also to your life, okay, is that yes, I am weak, today I am ill, whether it's physically or spiritually or in any way that it is. But in your weakness you shone forth what was greater than might. My strength is made manifest in weakness. This is why Christ said it, because it was true. So we need to get deeper into these things if you want to appreciate them. But if you treat... Um, liturgy and and tazbah and all these things as rote repetition, you will not benefit. The same thing with the Psalms, the Igbeya. If you pray the Psalms, Speedy Gonzalez, you're not ever going to appreciate them. Um, and I've always encouraged people to take the Psalms and to translate them into modern English um, or Arabic um, when you're praying so that you actually know what David is saying, so that when you're praying a psalm, it actually suddenly takes on meaning. Um, so I started a project with some of the people who confessed to me where I was trying to go one by one through some of them. I didn't get far. Um, but even in that exercise, it forced me to go to commentary. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I thought this was about this, but now I'm not actually so sure um, because I've always done it in the morning or night and, and like ended there. But they're rich. Um, and, and these are the words of somebody who experienced real life. Like David was was not like some goody two shoes. No, he was he was a, a bad boy, right? Like he was he was a player. Um, he liked women clearly, 
Okay, he also was a, a tough guy. He loved going to war. He was very good at it. Um, he excelled everywhere he went, but he also had a beautiful heart. That's why God could say, "But this is a man after my own heart." Um, and everywhere he went, he was successful. Even when he went to the enemy side, they liked him. They're like, "No, no, we got to keep this guy." Um, but even this person who had this experience, he went through really, really difficult times. Um, and when you translate the psalms into modern English, there's days where he's saying, "Lord, everybody's saying there's no God." And I'm inclined to believe them because I can't hear you. So please make yourself known to me. This is the same David who God was speaking to directly, right? And saying, go here, do this. And yet he's admitting his sense of absence of God. How many of us, like, could not relate to that? Like, I don't think there's anybody who has not at some point felt those feelings in some form or another, maybe in, in various degrees. Other days, he's saying, how long? How long? Other days, he's like, okay, I know I messed up. Please be nice. Other days, he's saying, you're the bomb. You're awesome. You're sick. I love you. Okay? So, like, all of those things are things, they express the emotions of the heart, and they're real. Um, and so you need to take the Psalms and make them your own. Um, don't just say them. And if you, if you do that, you'll find that there are Psalms that are very close to your heart that will enter, and that you will, you will memorize naturally. Um... Another form of prayer is service. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, we said that prayer is an encounter with God. And Christ said to those who stood before him in judgment, I don't know you, and they said, how come you don't know us? And he said, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they said, Lord, when did we see you and not do this? And he said, whatever you've done to them, you did to me. I am Christ in all of those people. So we're supposed to be Christ to one another, and in serving other people, we are, at the hand, we are at the feet of Christ with every single person that we serve. There's a beautiful story in the book. Um, I don't know how many of you have read the Father Arseni books. Um, there's two volumes. If you have not, like, that should be mandatory reading, I think, for every Orthodox Christian. Um, but there's two volumes. And the second one... There's a story of this nun that I really, really liked. Um, so Father Seni is this priest in Russia, like during communist Russia, where they were put in prison and, and they were outlawed, outlawed and banned from practicing real Christianity. The only churches that were allowed to be open were the ones that were subscribing to the communist regime. Um, and so he'd have to meet people in secret and commune them and teach them and guide them and do all sorts of things. So after he was released by some miracle from prison... So he encounters this one lady who he says is one of the greatest saints he's ever met. And when they go to see her, she's just a normal lady. Um, she's not dressed as a nun, and he tells them that she's a nun. And her story was that she was adopted into some family. She was orphaned. Um, I believe she was orphaned, but for some reason she was taken up by some other family. Um, and she had a very deep zeal for God, and she had wanted to be um, a nun. And life for her just sucked. Like It got more rough and rough as things went. The, the, the dad in the family, as she got older, wanted to rape her. Um, and then the mom thought she was the, the one trying to have a relationship with the dad, so she was going to throw her out into the streets. By some intervention from God, the mom realized it wasn't her and lets her back in. Then the war tears them apart. She's forced to go all sorts of places and to serve like as a maid and as a housekeeper and all these sorts of things. And she never was able to go to the convent, which was her, her dream and her heart's deepest desire. So by some random chance, she runs in, across a metropolitan um, somewhere in her rough life, who 
consecrated her as a nun. And you've got to understand that the, the church was so worried about staying alive that they would secretly ordain each other even in prison. They're like, because if we get out of here, we're going to have no priests or monks or nuns or like deacons because they literally massacred millions um, of Russian Orthodox Christians. So she was ordained a nun, but she couldn't practice. And so she says to Father Hussaini, like she goes, I, was, I wouldn't even be able to say our father in a day from the amount of work that I was forced to do she was like, like minute after minute, sewing, cleaning, doing all the stuff for them. I was just trying in my head to say any kind of prayer that I could. Um, and she goes, I would often fall asleep in the middle of our father. And Father Hussaini said this was a deeper prayer than any, that she's one of the best nuns that he had ever encountered. Because he, this service, okay, in her need and in her want, this denial of self, was a deep expression of love that she was at the feet of Christ. So I'm not saying that we take service to replace um, the oral prayers that we talked about, but it is a prayer, and we need to understand that. Um, especially those who are married, um, who often say, well, when I wasn't married, I had more time. Um, no, what you're doing in caring for your, your spouse and your children um, is a prayer. It is a prayer. Do what you can, okay, but don't undermine or don't belittle the fact that this other aspect is prayer as well. Um, Matanyas. Um, we're often scoffed at for doing this kind of thing. But a matanya is a deep thing because God called us to do actions. Um, like he, he said, fast and pray. There's something coupled with this prayer. There's a physical thing of saying, no, don't eat, right? And it's not like food is wrong. Um, but it is, it is an ascetical work. Um, and so the matanya is the physical, physical expression of the prayer with the body. So you need to, if you're going to do spiritual, physical exercises, you need to put those things in their places and to understand that there's a, there's a deep meaning in matanya. Matanya means change of, of hearts. Okay? It is to, to take the, the state of mind that you're in and to change it, to come to your senses, as we say with the prodigal son. And so the body is expressing this with it. So don't be afraid to use your body as the Spirit leads you um, in prayer. There might be times where you do feel very moved to just do a matanya spontaneously. That's fine. Do it. Um, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with these things. But we do need to understand the physical aspect of prayer is also helpful. Um, the Bible as a form of prayer. We're going to talk about the Bible as a form of listening, but the Bible is also a form of prayer. Um, St. Theophan says, A man is indeed unwise if he reads diligently the words of God, but fails to ponder over them, not making himself feel their meaning and not practicing them in actual life. There has to be a step of taking the Bible further, meditating on it and making it a living thing. Because then the word of God actually flows through him. Suddenly your prayers are words of the Bible. Um, those of us who have taken the time to kind of remove anything secular and only surround themselves with prayer, even for a period of time, will, will be able to attest that the first words that come to their mouth will end up being prayers and verses, and it will flow so naturally. Because this is how we get to know our, our God. Right, that when when a youth comes up being like, you know what, I'm I'm so terrible, like I fell in such a, a terrible sin. There's no way that God could accept me. If you have no knowledge of your Bible, you're gonna be like, yeah, it's bad. You're gonna have to like repent um, because you might go to hell. Um, is that the experience that we see in the Bible? 
Is this how we, we see Christ dealing with sinners? I, there's, not, there's never been a sinner who came up to God that God condemned. Never. Like, the only people that Christ ever told off were the Pharisees. Like, that was it. And they were the, the super-righteous. Um, but super-righteous with absolutely zero hearts. Right? Just physical motions. But if you understand and you ponder on the Bible, then you'll be able to take it a step further. I was talking to somebody earlier and like, look at, for example, even something as little as the miracle of Canada and Galilee. If you want to meditate on that, are you going to be like, okay, God likes wine, let's all drink. Um, that would not be like the best of meditations. But if you look at, for example, these dudes in the background um, who are watching this, because you've got to remember that Christ until this point had not done a single miracle. This is the first miracle of Christ. Is that these guys are watching and some lady is like, whatever he says, do. And they're like, okay. Which doesn't make any sense. Okay? Not only does it not make sense like on a rational level, on a cultural level, it's a lady. Right? Like, who is this woman who's coming to tell us what to do? And then, and then this other guy, who happens to be God, which they don't know, is like, uh, yeah, fill me uh, some water. It's like, uh, <laughs> what do you think you're going to do with the water? Right? We're, we're talking about wine here. We have lots of water. Um, but you could take this and be like, okay, I would like to be like these people who just, for some reason, didn't question. For some reason, they were just like, okay, whatever you tell me to do, I, w- I will do. That's faith. I, I have trouble with that. Um, but that's a whole other level that they were able to do. Look at God's love and reverence for St. Mary. Where he's like, woman, which in Old English is, is to say, like, my lady. It's a very it's an endearing word. It's a kind word. Right? He's like, my lady, it's, it's not my time yet. And then she just walks away. She's like, I, I trust you're going to take care of it. And did she give him a solution to her problem? He didn't. She didn't say, go get him water, he's going to do it. She just says, whatever he says, do it. And she walks away. She knows. She is absolutely confident that her son is going to do this. And she just leaves. And it's done. It's taken care of. We can learn from this, right? Don't give God a solution to your problems. So when you're sitting there listing them off and be like, because Lord, if you just gave me that job, like you realize that all of this would be fixed. No. Just tell him the problem and walk away. I trust you that you can take care of it. And then when they're like, oh, I don't know why you pray to God, uh, to these saints, you can, okay, well, God reverenced her. What's the problem? Like, why are you upset? If God likes her, I like her too. Um, Like, it's, it's very simple. So like, if you meditate on the words of God, they take on more meaning that this verse that you read in three seconds, um, woman, my time has not yet come, glory be to God forever, amen. Okay, next. Okay, Twitter. Um, and, like, and watching the, the feed. If you don't take those few minutes to pray the words and then to apply them, your Bible doesn't become prayer. You need to make your Bible become prayer. Another form of prayer is spiritual reading. I'm sorry, this went longer than I was expecting. There's going to be one more after this. Um, you, if you have not discovered spiritual reading, you're, you're, you're missing out. Um, because St. Saint, Saint Isaac of Nineveh says that spiritual reading gives intellect to prayer. Um, he also calls it the wings of prayer. Because you learn more. Because these people who have lived a life in Christ are recording of their experiences and what they've found, and they're telling you truths about Him. And so you can take that, and that knowledge turns into your own, because you'll be able to relate. There's sometimes you're like, yes, yes, I felt that. I didn't recognize that. But yes, I, I have had that. Other times you're like, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. Because maybe you had a wrong understanding. And so you're standing before a God 
who is not who you think he was. So spiritual reading is absolutely important. And even uh, Theophan was writing a letter to uh, um, some lady, and he just lists a bunch of, of authors um, like be, to point out the importance of this. Evagrius is one of the early desert fathers, and he was hardcore into reading. He's like, everybody needs to read. Um, there are some monks who, who will do the opposite, but there's an importance to it. Actually, <clears throat> sometimes you will find yourself in your spiritual reading just starting to pray in spite of yourself. Because you'll suddenly find your heart is moved in the presence of God of something that you've read where you're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't see this. I particularly find this with the Buna Matta Meskin, where there's so many times where I'm reading, I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like, you have to stop over a sentence, you just sit there. Um, because that one sentence had such deep weight. If you're not good with the hardcore spiritual books, quote-unquote hardcore, that's okay. Find something that you can relate to. Maybe it's the lives of the saints. Um, that might be something. I, when I was younger, like I, that was all I would read. Um, I still love reading it. Now I just I mix it up more. Um, there's the lives of the saints. There's the spiritual books. There's books of, of, of just daily meditations. There's, there's those 365-day-year like one-liners or one paragraph. There's all sorts of things out there, but give it time. And actually, it's helpful sometimes to use spiritual reading to warm up into prayer. Um, like of starting off with that, to bring yourself into this mood, to bring yourself in the presence of God, that when you stand up to pray, um, you will. Because this is how you keep the stove hot. Okay? Like in the old days when you had to keep it running set, because if you needed for electricity, that was an expression, was, was keep the stove hot. Um, because otherwise, you had to do a lot more work to have your meal or warm up at the end of the day, when you're no longer in the mood um, to do the work needed to start the fire. And this is true of our spiritual lives. Learn to perform everything you do in such a way that it warms the heart instead of cooling it. Um, whether it's reading or praying, working or talking with others, you should hold fast to this one aim. Do not let your heart grow cool. Keep your inner stove always hot by reciting a short prayer and watch over your feelings in case they dissipate the warmth. External impressions are very rarely in harmony with inner work. That's St. John of Kronstadt. Um, the last type of prayer that I'm not going to... Um, uh, go deep into although when Lazarus was suggesting it be its own talk this could be its own uh, retreat is Jesus prayer um, Jesus prayer is, is a gospel um, and what's nice about it is that it's not a prayer that overtakes your thoughts in terms of dialogue there's no back and forth um, it's just a, a line that's repeated over and over again um, and it serves a twofold purpose there's two levels of it that's why earlier we said it could be on the mental level and it could be on the internal level on the mental level, it's one of the most exceptional ways of dealing with warfare um, and of, 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 of thoughts, um, a warfare of thoughts, because the devil trembles at the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, and that's why we're saying it. But um, the Jesus prayer, um, if you meditate on the words, they're, they're rich. I remember when Lazarus talking about it, and when he talks about it, he's at a, an, he just, his face lights up and his whole being changes when he's discussing Jesus' prayer. Um, like even my Lord, you're declaring him as God. To call somebody Lord means you're calling them God. That you can meditate on for hours on this, just the divinity of this person on whom you're call, you're calling on, um, Christ, the Anointed One, the coming down of the Spirit. Okay, the Son. If He's a Son, then there's we now have this Trinitarian aspect. You can meditate on the Trinity. Okay, have mercy. There's. I'm not going to go deep into the meditation with you guys. I mean, like there's much that you can take from this if you want to take it meditatively. 
Um, and we're also told to even change up the words sometimes. You can say, my Lord Jesus, help me. My Lord Jesus, save me. My Lord Jesus, comfort me. My Lord Jesus, I love you. Right? There can be positives. There can be pleas for help. But if you use this regularly and this becomes your second nature, it will help you immensely in your warfare. And if you are able to start doing the meditation, not just say it, you will find that it enters the heart and gives power. And that actually, I know people who have had warfares that were beyond the normal warfares of us, the people who have had to fight the devil a little harder, um, sometimes physically, um, where the first thing off of their tongue was the Jesus prayer. Um, there's somebody who Father Lazarus was teaching um, the Jesus prayer to um, from here in the West. Um, and so Father Lazarus was teaching him how to do it. And this Jesus prayer, the reason I'm not spending a lot of time on it is because if you're going to do Jesus prayer beyond just the rapid fire prayer, the arrow prayers, you need a guide. Do not, do not do it by yourself. Because you are like unleashing like a nuke on the devil and he reacts. Um, I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it's very true. This, this dude that I'm talking about, when, when Abuna taught him uh, Jesus prayer, um, the meditative way, beyond just that, he went out onto the mountain, sitting on a cliff um, to read. I know some people might not believe this story, but I know it to be true. Um, but he was praying the Jesus prayer and he was wearing, uh, he had his uh, foot gear beside him. And as he was, as he was praying, literally just saw his, uh, his sandal go up like this in the air and just get dropped over the, the cliff. Um, and so he went down to try and get it. He was climbing down and then he lost his footing and broke his toe and all sorts of stuff. So he sent up a letter up to Wuna Lazarus. He was like, I can't meet you tomorrow because um, I broke my toe. Um, and Abuna was like, better you to enter the kingdom without your toe. Um, but, um, but then he also said, uh, easy on the Jesus prayer for now um, because there, it can evoke a response. So I'm only telling the story to say, no, this is a very powerful prayer. For those of you who think that this is just some mumbo-jumbo, like... Eastern like mysticism and like fancy words and that kind of stuff. No, it's real. Call it whatever you want, but it is real. Um, so be careful um, to have a guide with that. Those of you who have read the way of a pilgrim, you'll see that same instruction um, where he is like, no, no, no. If you're going to get it. and and there does become revelation, and this is something that many of us have experienced where things start to happen and they're not always from God. Um, and so you, that's why you do need a guide because there does need to be discernment which you should never assume that you have um, even those of us who might have more discernment than others okay like so a priest hopefully has a little bit more discernment than the people he's leading but even the priest must take on a guide with more discernment right like there's it's an absolute um, must so the key of all this was to understand how to bring the external prayer inwardly so the heart is expressing all of it and doing that on its own but prayer is an energy, okay? It's not just a, a thing. It does actually come alive. Abuna Lazarus told me um, how when he first stayed in the cave that he's in right now, it was first occupied, not the one right now, sorry, the original one in the middle of the mountain. Uh, it was occupied first by an Ethiopian monk um, who was a very devout person. And that monk used to pray actually with the door, like there was no door or wall to this cave. Abuna Lazarus has made one. Um, but the original dude did not. Um, and so he was like, when I took his cross, he's like, I was sure that he like left it for for the next person. He was like, I, he goes like, it, it, I got a jolt. It was like like beyond static electricity that I dropped the cross. He was like, it happened three times, um, and he goes before I could actually hold it. 
Um, and he was like, because there is an energy in, in, in prayer, because God is also energy. Um, I know that sounds like a, a really like philosophical thing, but he experienced it. And even for him, um, he was talking about how he, um, he got through some of the cold nights just by prayer. That like, his, his intense praying of the Jesus prayer kept him warm. He didn't have a fire going, and it is freezing cold. I spend many nights out in the mountains in St. Anthony's. It's freezing. Um, and so, and that kept him warm. So prayer actually can become life on its own. There's a story in Father Arsani, it's one of my favorites in that book that I was talking about, um, where they were forced to go out into, uh, as a punishment, they were hoping that they would die. Father Arsani and some other guy, um, who was an atheist, were made to go into this room, um, I think it was like minus 50 something Fahrenheit, um, and no stove, no, there's nothing. Um, and just standing, they were like dying. And so Father Sandy was like, no. He goes, stand up and pray. I don't care if you don't believe. He said, well, if two or more gather in my name and pray, um, I'll be in the midst and I'll give them what they need. And he just stood praying. And the guy, the guy is one who writes the story, not Father Sandy. Like, it's a collection of people who experienced him that wrote about it. He was like, he goes, I was just saying whatever he said. <laughs> um, and he was like, and then he goes, we got warmer and warmer and warmer. Um, until like he was, I think he said something like he looked like Father Sandy was all alight. I can't remember the details anymore. But the point is that the guy passes out, um, and Father Sandy keeps praying. But they got through the whole night warm. That when the 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 soldiers came in the morning, assuming to collect collect their corpse, they found them like alive and well, um, and they were they were shocked. And so were all of the prison mates. They're like, how on earth did he survive that? So. Prayer is, is energy, and any prayer, and I mean, when Arsene was saying very simple words, but they were words that entered the heart, that were meaningful, that he could express to God. This is why Christ says, do not use vain repetitions. I desire your hearts. I don't desire your tongues. My people with their lips praise me, but I desire their hearts. And glory be to God forever. Amen.